Welcome to My Anesthetic Life, a podcast that celebrates life as it is. No curation or romanticizing needed. Hi, I'm your host, Erica Ige, and I want to take you on a journey. A journey of unlearning and truly getting to know yourself. In a world where we're constantly bombarded with messages to conform and to please others, it's easy to lose sight of who you truly are. But through this podcast, we will tune out the noise and listen to our own voices. We will explore the good, the bad, and the funny parts of life and learn to live and love confidently no matter what we're going through so that you can always find joy, peace, and hope to continue on. So are you ready to join us on this unlearning journey? (laughs) Let's do this. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to My Unesthetic Life. I am your host, Erica Ige. This podcast is all about having all the conversations, good, bad, and ugly, about different circumstances in life that maybe most people in your life might not want to talk about, but we're going to talk about it here. Today, I have with me my wonderful friend that I met. Most of my friends are going to be people I met through business, guys, just so you guys already know. But my wonderful friend that I met through business, her name's Abdelise Vega. Um, And we are going to actually be getting into a conversation about, you know, being a good girl and a rule follower and kind of how... She, and she doesn't know this about me, but how I, we're both kind of going through this journey of moving away from that uh, characteristic. And this idea for this podcast actually came to me while I was watching her talk about this on an Instagram story. So everybody, welcome, Abdelise. Hey girl, how are you? Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you. So I... I was why I remember vividly there was a few weeks ago I was watching you on a Instagram story you're I think you're getting ready mm-hmm. to go somewhere and you just started talking about um you know how you're going through this transition in your life how mm-hmm. you you know you were a part of some of those big tech job cuts that happened yep. to a lot of people here recently um, and how, you know, you realize you worked up to this big moment, this big job, mm-hmm. this big career move in your life. And how you were like, I wasn't expecting this to happen to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No. And that's not easy. So one, number one, like how, I guess, how are you doing so far with this trend, that transition? Mm-hmm. Um yeah, like, how are you doing with that transition? I know it's not an easy one to take, you know? Yeah, yeah I mean, this is my um, my first ever layoff. So I was laid off in November, and I was, I, you know, part of those tens of thousands of people who've been laid off over the past year in big tech. Um, and it's been hard. I've never been laid off before. I have no idea, you know, what to expect or what it was going to be like. I think I kind of knew that the layoffs were coming just by paying attention to the news and, and kind of just the, the conversation and the, and the room, the room was heavy every time, right? Like every time we were having a, um, you know, a workplace meeting, the room was just heavy. And I, so I kind of felt it coming, but there was no way to prepare for it. I didn't know what a layoff was tangibly. I, I actually didn't know what it was at all until I got that job. Um, so now here I am about three months later, four months later, 
how I don't know. I don't even know if I have a good word for how I am. Um, I got my first unemployment check, and that was very humbling. Um, going to the unemployment office and and having that experience was super humbling. It wasn't one I ever thought I would have, and it's not one that I'm ashamed of. But it definitely was just something that was so unexpected for me. Um, so I think I'm just taking it day by day right now. Every every day is different. Sometimes I'm good and I'm at peace with it. Other days I'm mad as hell. Other days I'm just pretty sad about it. Yeah, but I love that like you're talking, number one, I love that you're like allowing yourself to kind of process it all, that you're not like trying to put yourself into a box where you feel like you're not allowed to process it. Cause I talk to a lot of people who go through layoffs and they almost feel like, well, I should be like almost, I should be thankful like for mm-hmm. this time or I should be like, I don't know, doing like the picture perfect thing you should do when you're transitioning away yeah. from a job after a layoff. And it's like, there is no picture perfect way to handle being <laughs> told you're not going to be working at a job anymore. There's, it just isn't. There's nothing picture perfect about no. it. So I love that. And I, like, I appreciate people who can do that. I, I like, I, right. I feel like a, this is why I can't even go on LinkedIn anymore. Cause I feel like most people um, have just been like, you know, my life has been completely flipped upside down, but I am just so grateful. And I'm like, you know what? I'm very happy for these folks who are able to like lead into gratitude during these moments. But I got laid off the day after my 30th birthday. So <laughs> I was pissed. <laughs> I was livid. My birthday was on a Tuesday. I got laid off on a Wednesday. And my boyfriend had planned all of these birthday plans for me the following weekend, like that weekend coming up. And so how bizarre was it to like, be told that my like, everything's cut off, you have no access, like, don't bother coming to the office, send us back all your stuff, you don't have a job anymore. And then the very next day, I'm at a club <laughs> trying to celebrate my birthday. Everything just didn't make sense. It was very kind of chaotic. It's a good, like, oxymoron. Like, you're, like, in this one space where you're, like, yeah, I'm, like, entering a new decade, a new era. And then the other half of it is, like, uh, uh, well, I am entering into a new decade, a new era. But, dang, I did not yes. think that I was going to be jobless uh, going it into was- being 30. Absolutely. Oh man, so ghetto. It was just not cute at all. And <laughs> it was just so bizarre. It was like I said, I'm, I'm at the club the next day and I'm just like, can I even afford this drink anymore? Like, what am I doing? Right. I'm trying to like exist in the moment and be okay with it. So it was just, it was weird. And I don't think that things really started to hit me until after Christmas. Yeah, no, but I like the honesty about the, the, the amount of space you kind of giving yourself to like sit with it you know what I mean because I I am you know most people would freak out um but speaking Mm -hmm. of turning 30 I turned 30 last year too and I think (laughs) I when I was listening to you talk I'm like man I don't know what it is about that decade or that number (laughs) but like some like I don't know if the rose colored glasses like come off and you just reality hits or whatever but like it changes you and I didn't believe that my sister tried Mm -hmm. to tell me that um but I didn't believe it until I like hit 30 and I was like you know what this crap Mm -hmm. that I've been like the way that I've been existing the way that I've been behaving the way that I've been allowing things to happen just cannot keep happening going forward in my Mm -hmm. life anymore and I just kind of had like a big like last year was a big revelation year for me um when it came to like my life so I'd love to hear like 
I know you just turned 30, like, <laughs> in um, November, but I'd love to hear, like, how how your experience was turning 30, even though all that happened. So I know that impacted it, but like how your mm-hmm. experience was turning 30 versus what you thought it was going to be. Um, and just yeah. like what you've learned since you turned 30. Mm-hmm. Uh, my therapist likes to say that the, um, the chaos that happens in your very late twenties, early thirties, it has something to do with your Saturn return. I don't fully understand what that means. Um, she made it very clear that that was not a clinical situation. She was just like, <laughs> if you're into astrology, you should look into Saturn return. Apparently it happens around this time. And so all hell breaks loose. Um, <laughs> and that's what it feels like. That's what it feels like right now. I, I would say like, I, I had high expectations and this is a problem that I think I have a lot is that I, I put so much expectations on stuff. Um, so I had really high expectations in my thirties because everybody was like, don't be afraid of them. They're the best. You know, it's like your twenties, but with money, you're smarter and all of these things. And I was like, okay, great. My twenties, but with money and things are going to be settled and I'm going to be having a little bit more direction. And then boom, chaos just broke out, right? Like the very next day. Um, it's just so crazy. Cause I'm just like, hold on. <laughs> like this is nothing i was promised i was like this is nothing i was promised at all and and i am i'm the good girl who believes when people tell me certain things to expect um so i was like 30s awesome they're gonna be good nothing will you know all the messiness has already happened and so we'll be fine right um that has not happened (laughs) and i I don't know how I feel about that, really. I think what's interesting is that we're going through a really hard time, you know, economically in in the country, right? There's so many people getting laid off and there's so much uncertainty about, can I afford a home? Can I afford eggs? Like things like that. Um, And I vividly remember when my mother was going through this during, you know, the 2008 housing crisis and people were losing their jobs and losing their homes and, and, you know, things were kind of crazy. I remember being a teen and my mom being stressed, I didn't think it'd be so soon that I would then be experiencing it. So even when I talk to my mom, I'm just like, uh, I'm, I wasn't the grown up last time this happened. Now I'm the grown up and I don't know what the hell to do. I mean, mind right. you, I don't have a house. I don't have two kids like she did at the time. But I'm like, what in the heck am I supposed to be doing right now? So I think in my 30s, it's only been a few months, but I think what I'm really trying to do is just let go of expectation. So let go of expectation. And then I'm also really trying to release my fear. Um, and I think that that's another one is like releasing my fear, releasing expectations of that I have of things and that I have of myself um, and, and just try to lean into the chaos because I can't control it. Yeah. Ooh, that's so good. That's a message and a half. And like, just that like last little section you said there, releasing your fear and like letting go of expectations. I definitely can agree that I think, um, I turned 30 back in April last year. And I think that that is probably my, that was my biggest lesson where I shared for me mm-hmm. too, is that like, what I expected 30 to be like or what I expected my year to turn into just did not happen. And Mm -hmm. I had to lean into my chaos that, that I talked about this before, but that included me shutting down business for a while. I got a Mm -hmm. job again, which I did not want to do, but I had to do, you know, my mother-in-law moved in. Like it was a bunch of just, just stuff after stuff after stuff last year. Mm -hmm. And I just had to be like, 
wow, this is not what I wanted. This is not what I want at all. <laughs> this is uh, not what I wanted. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't ask for this. Take it back, please. Um, but you know, <laughs> then I, I, I know, kind of was like, well, you can either like resist, fight hard to resist all this stuff happening, and be mad and be upset and be sad and frustrated. And don't get me wrong, I did allow myself to like go there. I was there was a lot of days I was like, man bump this like this is not it I'm not doing it all I'm gonna do is watch tv today because I don't feel like giving in to all this stuff happening to me but then I kind of was like you can you can learn something from this 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 period this period of time where you feel like you have no control over everything um and like you said I'm I'm like you too I I was the rule follower. I have always been the rule follower, the good girl in my family. My sister was a wild child. She just lived <laughs> her life and did whatever. But I didn't. I my I everything my parents told me I did. And so when life started not happening the way that I thought it was gonna happen, because they were like, if you do if you go to school, you graduate, uh-huh. you get a degree, if you get a master if you get a job, you'll you'll be fine. And so when all yeah. that stuff didn't happen, I was like oh uh yeah what am I gonna do and so (laughs) now I'm going through this thing like you I'm in therapy too where I'm like having to like unlearn my I'm having to teach myself and my body how to be chill with chaos Mm -hmm. yeah and it's so hard it's so hard because I am the I like I despise chaos I really do I cannot stand it if I can't control it I don't like it like, yeah, I'm not a no. fan of it. And so, and I, and I always believed in the, if this, then this, right. If this, if you do this, then this will happen. And I think I, you know, I grew up in a pretty, you know, I had a very rocky foundation. My mother got pregnant at 13 with me. And so she had me at 14. Wow. So a baby had a baby and had to figure it out from there. And it's so funny because we laugh about it now, but she's like, girl, I had you in a stroller and we were going to parties together. Like it was just, you know, we survived. She's like, the fact that you were an adult who is alive, can pay their bills, like all of those things. She's like, that shocks me every day. I don't know how we got here. Um, And so (laughs) to me growing up, I grew up in a really, you know, low income area and there was a lot going on, right? There was drugs and pregnancies, teenage pregnancies, right? Like there was violence, all these things. And so to me, I assumed that everything that was happening was because people weren't following the rules. You know, like you were playing around, you got pregnant at 13 with me and now we're in this situation. Right. And and that's okay. I love my mother. I love everything that she did for me. She was an excellent mother. And also I'm like, everything that is true for us now is because rules were not followed. And therefore, in order to get the opposite of all these things, to get wealth, to get security, to get safety, all that stuff, I will follow the rules. And if I follow the rules, None of these bad things will happen because I'm following the rules, right? And so I was very prepared. I'm going to have two and a half kids, a picket fence, a good job. I was prepared. Um, I was going to go to college. I was going to go straight through for my PhD. I, I was very, very focused. And I think the first time I ever realized that you can follow every single rule, do everything right, and sometimes it still doesn't work out. I think that was probably when I was applying to colleges. And I got into my dream college and I did everything right. I was involved. I had a great GPA. I had a great essay, all of those things. And they said, yeah, but you're broke. You're broke. It's like, it's yeah. $54,000 a year to come here and we will give you five. So what do you want to do? And that was like the biggest shock to my system. I'm like, what do you, 
well, what do you mean? I followed the rules. I did what I was supposed to do. Why? Like, what's going on here? And that was just such a shock to my system. And I think from there on, I started to have more of those moments in my life of like, oh, yeah, you can do all of it right. That's okay. Like, have fun doing that. Um, but that doesn't mean it's going to work out. There are no guarantees here. Oh, man, no. And I think I wish that a lot of like kids in college, um, because I have my sister-in-law is in college and I have this conversation with her all the time. I tell her all the time. I'm like, look, you do not have to have all this figured out right now. But I think there's just so much pressure on um, kids at that age to just like have it all figured out. And Mm -hmm. like, if I could go back and tell younger me now, I'd be like, girl, play around a little bit more, like have a little bit more freedom give yourself some more space because like you, I'm, you know, my, I did not want to, I have a, I have my master's in social work. I didn't want to be in psychology or have a master's in social work at all. What I wanted to do was go sing and be on Broadway and be an actor or whatever in New York. That's what I wanted to do. And my mom Mm -hmm. at 17, she was like, no, crush it, shut it down. I don't think you're going to be able to make money from that. You need to pick a, you need to pick a backup plan. And so she yep. literally made me take an apt career aptitude test and I got psychology and I was like, okay, well, I guess that's my backup. And I, I never remember. looked back. Mm-hmm. I never questioned it. <laughs> yep. I never questioned it. And me now I'm like, why didn't you like push back on that? There are so many other options. Like I'm so many other options like I like art and crafting Mm -hmm. and I'm like so you didn't think that graphic design would have been like another great choice like I didn't even test told you because they told me psychology was the way to go and I mean went straight through and it wasn't until I got into my grad school program I was looking around at all the people in my program and they were just so into it I remember I can't remember this the exact day I was sitting in the back of the class and I'm like I don't care I do yep. not care as much as mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. and that I had to make out list guys if you are mm-hmm. in college if you are in college right now please take a listen to this podcast I'm telling you right now before you sign your life away before you get in debt going to get that extra degree because you think it's going to make your parents happier. You think this is what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Take a pause because a lot of epiphanies happen in the middle of a program. And then at that moment you have to decide, am I going to keep, I've come too far. Am I going to keep going and get this degree or am I going to drop out? And I had that moment of realization where I was like, nope, I'm almost done. Let's keep pushing through. Even Mm -hmm. though I already know, I already know that this is not what I want to do. No, I, I moved across the country for my master's degree. I moved from Pennsylvania to Colorado. Halfway through Nebraska, I realized to myself, I don't even think I want to do this. Like, I was driving across the country and I, and I was halfway through Nebraska and I was like, I, I don't think this is what I want to do. But I was, I was more than halfway there. I committed to the bit. Like I need to go. I already, you know, put my, my deposit down on my apartment. I'm going to grad school. What am I going to look like? turning around and going back to Pennsylvania like, like I had to go so I just Man. told myself I was like well I did I said I was gonna do it so I did it wow <laughs> I know I'm telling you I just I really do hope that whoever is like listening to like this podcast later like understands like if you don't take anything else away from this from us take away the fact that you do have a choice 
Yeah. It might and be it's scary. Never too late to say no. <laughs> it's never too late to say no. It might be scary. Your family might get mad. You might freak out a bit and spiral because you're like, what the heck am I going to do in myself? But you, you will figure it out. Um, that, that uncertain space, you will figure it out. And speaking of that, I think that's another thing I want to ask you about. Cause I, I'm piecing back together the conver- what you were saying on your story. Mm-hmm. You kind of said that you had this epiphany and you kind of already hit on it that following rules gets you to a certain place or, you know, trying to make sure that you stay within the lines gets you to mm-hmm. a certain place. But at some point you kind of have to say, bump it. Like I can't yeah. follow, I can't be mm-hmm. operate like this the whole time. So I guess the walk me through that realization for you. And I, if you could give any advice to anyone else, like going through probably mm-hmm. a similar situation like you and I've gone through, what would you, I guess, what would you tell them? How would you encourage them to be brave enough to step out? Mm-hmm. Um, well, first of all, I don't know that I'd be, I don't, I don't quite yet feel qualified um, as a person to speak on bravery because I'm still working on that myself. <laughs> but here's, here's what I, I, I can't get into this conversation without talking about the nuance of privilege, race, class, all of those things, right? Because when we yes. talk about being brave, breaking the rules, all of those things, you know so that's true. really easy for wealthy yeah. white people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. Like, I, you know, I am a Latina woman. I'm Puerto Rican. I'm white passing, which is a whole other thing I didn't even know about until I was in college. I was like, I'm, I'm what? Um, but, you know, my experience is vastly different than a white girl who grew up in the suburbs with money, right? Who never had to worry or go without um, and all of those things. And I think that's so crucial to this conversation about breaking rules and going outside of the lines because some people in this world are afforded the luxury of a safety net they are afforded the luxury of familial support of money of being able to fall on their face and know somebody's gonna pick them up right so i think there's a lot of social currency that exists when it comes to talking about breaking the rules um and i think that's important to just remember in this conversation I think for me, I, like I said, I grew up with a lot of rule breakers in my life, right? Um, Whether it was, you know, I I come from a family who who struggled with addiction on both sides. I come from a family who, you know, had teen pregnancies, single mothers, and we were living in in low-income housing. And so all of these things were true and they broke the rules. In my head, I was like, they broke the rules. That's, That's why we're here. Right. And and that's, you know, and it is what it is. I had a, surprisingly, I had a lovely childhood. Um, I actually, you know, my mother was so good at um, making sure that we didn't realize what was going on. And so as an adult, I was like, holy crap, this is not normal. Um, but for me, this sense of control and having to grow up very quickly as a child, um, I, I started to realize kind of the pattern that I picked up on is if you do bad things, if you make mistakes, then you must deal with those consequences. And so therefore, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to follow the rules, what people tell me, what my teachers tell me, what, you know, TV tells me, whatever, you know, kind of influences I had. um, I'm going to do those things because those things will get me far away from where I was. And like I said, I, I did do them. And I was very, very 
happy to do them. And now here I am 30 and I'm just like, dang, I wish, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I wish I did more drugs. I wish I did any drugs. I didn't do no drugs. You ever talk to some people and they're like, yeah, in my college years, I was out here doing this, doing that, partying. And I was like, I never even went to a party. I, I went to like one frat party in college. I've never done drugs. To this day, the 30-year-old woman, if you show me a drug, even if it's Tylenol, but it's outside of the bottle and I don't know what it is, I'm going to freak out. Don't play with me. I have never broken those rules either. <laughs> I'm like, those are not things I do, okay? But then I talk to some of my friends and they're just like, yeah, I was out here busting it up, stealing stuff from the cafeteria, all these crazy things. And I was like, oh my God, I did not break us. Even in college, I was sitting here acting right. I was coming correct. I, yes. Okay. But it was very boring. I'm not going to lie. It was very boring. <laughs> I think like, you know, like I said, my, my first experience in this, like, whole you did everything right and you still didn't get the outcome that you expected was that college experience. I was like, what do you mean? I can't go to the school just because I'm poor. I don't understand. Yeah. Right? And so, and then I ended up going to a state school, had a full scholarship. I was very, very um, lucky with, with how that journey went. And then I went to grad school and then I kept, you know, following the rules. I got a job in the field that I went to grad school for, even though I didn't want to, but I was like, that's what you do. You got the degree, go get the job. <laughs> so I kept doing these things and I, and I just kept finding myself so unhappy, so unhappy, you know? And I think this time around, I was laid off. This was something completely out of my control. I did everything right. I was hitting my metrics. I finally made it into tech. I was, you know, I was contributing. I was doing, you know, these extra professional development pieces that I didn't have to do, but I was doing it so I could stand out and really make a name for myself. And I still got laid off. I still woke up at six in the morning on November 9th, 2022. And it said in my email, best of luck. We don't need you anymore. And so I was like, you know what? So I think this is like the first time that it's just finally been slapped in my face. And I feel like it's the universe just saying like, do you get it now? Yeah. Like, do, are you listening now? You can do everything right. And sometimes it doesn't happen the way that you want it to. That's just the nature of life. Right. Ooh, no, you said a mouthful. I definitely, I'm so glad you brought up the conversation about privilege around this. Um, because mm. I thought about this a lot of times, especially about like being a black woman. When I, when I hear people be like, you could just like quit your job and like start your business. And I'm like, no, I had mm -hmm. to, when I started my business, I had to save like money. Like I had to be mm -hmm. like, okay, I have like this much money put away to give this yep. a try. But if this don't work out, I'm gonna have to. I was still applying to jobs while I was trying to get stuff figured out. Like I was like, not yet. I, I still didn't fully let it go. Um, and I think it's just, I do think that that is a good segue to like talk, just like understand, like when we're talking about people being good girls, if you look at it, if you look at like people who struggle with that the most, it's probably a lot of like people of color and like, women of color specifically I know I for sure I got told hey you gotta follow this path because mm -hmm. if you don't follow this path this is what's gonna happen to you mm -hmm. and that was either my like my sister like my sister had kids early and she struggled mm -hmm. a little bit um to like get ahead in life and mm -hmm. you know my parents were like you can't do this because of these things 
or my other thing was like I wasn't so far removed from like people who were in poverty that I could not see what could happen Mm -hmm. if I did not have my ducks in a row or if I did not have a backup plan to follow Mm -hmm. uh, back on and I remember having um I think I worked at I was my sophomore year college I think I worked at an art camp as like a art person or whatever it was like a art camp counselor or whatever and the guy there's this guy who's an artist there he's a white guy he was probably in his 40s he was asking me like what do you want to do with your life and I was like I mean you know I'm in school I got I'm getting this degree standard answer most people give and he was like I sense that you don't really like <laughs> like what you're doing. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, like, it's my backup plan. Like, if I'm being mm-hmm. honest, it's my backup plan. And he was like, he was the first person in my life that ever said, you know, you don't have to do this. And it never occurred to me at the time that he could probably say that because he was a white man. Like, he That's could so say, like, privilege. yeah, I, mm-hmm. I told my parents because he told me, he's like, yeah, I told my parents I wasn't going to do that. Yeah, I'm not the richest person in the world, but I still did it. And I was like, it never occurred to me at the time, but I didn't. At the time, I didn't listen to him because I was like, my parents know me better. So thank you, random stranger, man. <laughs> yes. But like, there's no, a lot I of have privilege to... behind risk taking. Right. There's, there's, there's that... a lot of privilege behind risk taking. And, and I don't, I think it's so difficult to explain it to people who have that privilege because I've had these conversations mm-hmm. with friends who, who've had very, everybody's had difficulties in their lives. They've had very privileged lives. Um, and they, they don't understand where that fear comes from. The fear of breaking rules, where that really comes from. Because to yeah. me and, and in my world that I grew up in, breaking rules didn't mean, okay, my dad's going to come save me. Breaking rules means you're going to jail. Okay. Like I grew up getting yeah. phone calls from jail from family members. Okay. breaking the rules means you're going to end up on the streets, right? Like I have family Mm -hmm. members who are addicts who ended up on the streets. So, you know, being at this party might mean you are have, you're going to have a higher likelihood of getting shot. So do you really want to do that? Like, is that what you're going to, so being a risk taker, doing those things in my, in my youth. And when I was growing up, they had such greater consequences. It wasn't like, Oh, you're going to get busted for drinking beer out in the woods, you know, and then they're going to slap you on the wrist and tell you to go home. That's not what it was in my reality. And so breaking rules just felt so much heavier, so much more terrifying. The struggles that we had, the struggles that I saw my mother having, you know, as we were growing up, like those were all results in my head of breaking rules. Forget the fact that I didn't recognize systemic failures and societal failures and all those things, right? Like there's so much more to it now than the black and white that I was seeing it in as I was growing yeah. up. But so, you know, I, I didn't really have a concept of what gray meant and, and what the world was really like. But growing up, that's what it was for me. Breaking the rules leads to suffering. And therefore, risk taking is not something that we do. Um, and so now here that here I am at 30. I understand the world a lot better for what it is. I understand that gray. I understand that nuance. I understand the roles of society and community and and all of these things and the systems that we exist in, especially in the U.S., right? And identity and privilege, et cetera, et cetera. And I can see now, okay, risk-taking will not automatically end up with me ending up dead, right? Or in a gut or something, right? right? Like, like, that's not going to be an automatic. Okay, great. So- what does it mean though for me to take a risk? 
And what does it mean for me to take a risk while still considering what I have at hand, the resources that I have, the privileges that I do have and the privileges that I don't have? I have a really supportive family. I have an incredibly supportive family. It's a small family, but my parents, they trust in my judgment. And they let me, when I got laid off, <laughs> when I got laid off, three weeks later, my parents flew to Chicago to have Thanksgiving with me and my boyfriend. Um, and I, I later found out from my little sister, like, oh yeah, they just thought you were having a mental breakdown. So they wanted to come make sure that you were fine. Oh no. <laughs> Thinking they're here trying to get some turkey and they just thought I was having a mental breakdown. From the layoff, and that's oh, why they're, they're, so, they're so supportive. They really, really are. And, and that's such a privilege. No, it is. Yeah. Right. And so I feel safe in that way to say, like, if things hit the fan and maybe I'm at risk for not being able to pay my rent, I always got a place to go. I'm going to have to go home, but it's a place to go. Right. (laughs) So I recognize that privilege that I have. No, but I love that, too. Um, I think. And again, just have adding the like race and like cultural and like socioeconomic lens into that. When you are thinking about if you're listening to this and you're like, how okay, yeah, I'm in one of these classes that are like a minority and you're thinking about how can I start taking risks? How can I kind of become, get out of like just following the rules and just doing whatever Mm -hmm. just to kind of break even in life or if you you want to call it that. And I do think like if you take it from both of us because we're we're part of different groups, but still like you can see Mm -hmm. how much our stories cross over. It's just doing what you can with, using your strengths use what you have you mm-hmm. said you have a good family I have a strong family support mm-hmm. system too so like every time when I didn't life did not go my way or things did not happen the way I hoped that they would um especially like like for me I when I graduated with my master's degree I did not get a job I struggled to get a job for like three to four years after college oh, and I thought I thought that I was like I was like I'm gonna get a job like this is gonna happen mm-hmm. I have a master's degree no people looked it's at that degree and said yeah it's a given no people looked at that degree and was like that's nice sorry we're we're not hiring you <laughs> when i and tell you we're also raised by a generation where it was a that's given. true so they gave us it the was best a given that they had <laughs> not set us up times had changed <laughs> yeah no set us up man um but you know my family was the one being like okay well like let's like here network go here i'll like Mm -hmm. send you money to go here like i had to use what i had at the time to Mm kind of get in there and even then like with stuff now with stuff not going right i like you i know that if it really really gets bad i could go home somebody's gonna Mm -hmm. have a spot for me on their couch for Mm -hmm. a few months like it'll never get to the point where i will like be on the street so i have to use that privilege that i have and Mm -hmm use it to my advantage and my benefit while I'm trying to figure out how to take small risk that Mm -hmm. could then end up being getting me to the place where I actually like want to hopefully land in my life. And then hopefully using the lessons that I learned so that if I do decide to have kids or whatever in the future, telling them like, okay, or telling them earlier, it's okay. Mm -hmm. If you take some risk, um, Mm -hmm. It's okay if you fail. Yeah, it's, it's okay, okay if you, if you fail. It's okay if you stumble. Yeah, it's a, it. You know, so you asked, like, you know, what made me realize that breaking the rules might be where where I'm going now, and I think, you know, the like I said, the layoff really kind of slapped it in my face. Um, 
because even though it has nothing to do with me, it felt very personal. Yeah. Even though there was 11,000 of us laid off on the same exact day, some people who have been working there for 15 years, some people who have been working there for seven months like me, to me, I was just like, what the hell? I did everything right. Like, how does this still happen? Yeah. Like, how did this happen? And I took it so personal. And even like to this day, I still struggle with like taking it personal. I, you know, my therapist, I think she was really irritated with me. I was like, yeah, but I failed. She's like, how did you fail? It wasn't, it had nothing to do with you. Yeah. And whatever I'm, I'm you know I'm trying to release that from me release that expectation from myself yeah. um but I think there's been a lot of inventory taking that I've been doing um over the past few months and a lot of that has been what what do I have what do I have that is a privilege what am I missing how can I make up for those deficits if I can Right. Um, and, and what does that look like? So I think for me, you know, obviously figuring out that my family is a really excellent um, source of, of safety for me. Like that is a safety net for me. They're not yeah. going to be able to get me out of a bind, you know, out of a financial bind. They're not going to be able to. My mother has made it clear since I was a child, she will not bail me out of jail. So, OK, I, I won't be able to get that. Right? They don't have that, <laughs> that kind of power and privilege. But like I'm always I always have a place to call home. So I'm taking inventory of like, where, where are some of these risks worth taking? How do I know that I still have a safety net? And what does it mean to just be a little bit more brave every single day? So I think what's really interesting is when the layoff happened and my world was upside down and I, because I think what's important to recognize is that when I had gotten my job in tech, I thought I had finally hit my finish line. Yeah. (laughs) And I know that might be silly. (laughs) But I went no. to college, I got my master's degree, I got my full-time job, I, you know, I made it out of my teen years without a baby, and all this, like, all of these things, I was like, I finally made it, I have a good paying job, I live in a big city, in a nice apartment, I have a good partner and good family, I'm done, I did it, all I have to do from yeah. here on out is maintain. I, well, <laughs> no, I can't even, I can't even really articulate how I'm just like, well, what the heck? I thought I hit the finish line. I thought I was done here. Yeah. I, Erica, I don't know. That is my, that's my slogan of 2023. I don't know. I have no idea what's next. I have no idea what I want. I have no, because I thought I did it already. I thought I had hit that point. So I'm like, I don't know what's next. So now it's time to be brave because there's nothing I can control. There's not much I can control right now. I, you know, this is the first time I've ever had a hard time finding a job. You know, I was, I was applying to jobs like crazy after layoffs. I haven't been able to find a job. I'm like, what? Since when was nobody hiring me? What are you talking about? Right? So I'm like, these things are out of my control. I was like, you know what? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to do the next best thing. Mm. I just want to like, let that marinate. Because I know all the, all the good girls, nice girls, people pleasers out there. You probably had a little internal freak out hearing her say that. Like the, mm, I don't know. Because I don't know what it is about uh, people who are like rule followers or whatever. You got to have like, you got to have like every step lined out, every little inch of it controlled. Like you got to know when things are happening. Mm -hmm. And man. I've had a five year plan since I was 10. Same. I was like, (laughs) at this point, I am going to move to the city. I am going to then take over this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. I was like, I'm going to conquer the world. Like, yep had it all mapped out in my head. Even when I started my business, I was like, I had it all mapped out in my head. I had to learn very quickly that that's not how things roll. 
Um, I get my bit. I love this uh, conversation because I feel like a lot of people, it's going to start having a lot of people at least think like, you don't you don't have to always have it all figured out you don't have to always have everything within your control and even if you think you do you really don't life will life will teach you that you don't really have control of anything mm-hmm. besides besides who you are really mm-hmm. to like to your core if you you knowing who you are even in your I don't know, I feel is like the thing that's keeping you mm-hmm. going. Ultimately, even if everybody turns you down, you know who you are. Like, I know when mm-hmm. people were turning me down for jobs, I was like, I don't care if y'all say I'm not capable of doing this job. I know I am. And so when people kept telling me no, I kept being like, well, I'm going to figure out a way to do this anyway. And the jobs mm-hmm. that people tell me no have told me no about, I've gotten through some other channel, like, some small business mm-hmm. seeing me or knowing this person or knowing mm-hmm. whatever. Like, it just didn't come through the way that I thought it was going to happen, though. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the beauty of when life does get chaotic and you're not quite sure what your next move is. It's mm-hmm. almost like you have to, like, breathe into, like, letting mm-hmm. it just happen. Like, letting whatever is going to happen unfold because it's going to happen anyway. And sometimes you just can't yeah. force it. Um, it's um my my mom likes to say that when you try to control things too much you just kind of you create your own suffering right mm-hmm. like you're, you're creating your own suffering just ride the wave I even have a playlist this is my playlist when, we're, when I'm feeling super anxious it's called ride the wave it has a little bit of Solange a little bit of Chance the Rapper <laughs> um, it has you know just some really good beats that just allow yeah. me to ride my wave of anxiety and just say you know what there has never, even when I felt most in control, I was not in control. Yeah. Even when I, you know, for every five-year plan, they've never worked out. Not a single one. And like I said, I've had a five-year plan since I was 10. I have been prepared. I have, I worked to prepare for everything. And when I say everything, Erica, I mean, when I was a 10-year-old little girl, I was reading books on what it meant to get your first period. And because I hadn't gotten mine yet. And I was like, I know this is the thing that's going to come. I got to prepare. And then I was, I was out there proselytizing to the entire, you know, fifth grade class. I'm like, you know, this is coming, right? Are you ready? Are you ready for this <laughs> to happen? Are you ready for puberty oh to hit? God. I'm not even playing with you. Get I was prepared. Like, I am, yes. I got to college orientation and I was irritated by all the music and the games and the fun. I was like, I already picked all my classes for the next two years. Where can I go to sign up? Y'all are wasting my time. I came prepared. You know, it's like mm. all this preparation. I'm like, I'm always prepared. I wasn't prepared for this, though. Nothing could have prepared me for this. Um, yeah. Except for, you know, everything that has. <laughs> right? Like all right. of the resilience, all of the experiences that I have had, I think. At this point, I've gone four months without a job. Um, and I've had everybody that I love and trust, everybody on my own little board of trustees, tell me, like, what you need to do is focus on your business, which has been terrifying to me. The thought of focusing on my business, I was like, what do you mean? Girls who follow rules get W-2s, okay? We have 401ks, we have W-2s, we have PTO. Like, we do not. We don't have businesses. No, 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 no. That's risky because businesses can flop or they can succeed. But I've never seen people like me, like, you know, succeed in this environment. So, no, this is scary for me. And then when I finally started to say, okay, maybe I will. 
maybe I'll open myself up to this. I've been having more and more people reach out to me. Hey, I heard you're open for business again. Hey, I heard you're taking new clients. Hey, I've been waiting for you to open up again. That is so bizarre to me because I think it's a testament to the fact that there's so many more people who believe in me than I do my own self. Um, (laughs) But two, it's like this resistance that I had constantly to like, oh, I can't do this scary thing. When Mm -hmm. I finally just started to open myself up just a tiny bit, it started to flow. And I realized that wanting to have control all the time is just having a death grip on, on your, it's like having a death grip on your blessings. You got to release Mm. so that they can flow. Yeah. (laughs) Snaps, poetry snaps (laughs) all over the place. No guys, I seriously, no, I promise you guys. Speaking of all facts, you just have to, if you, you just have to leave a little room, not even a lot, mm-hmm. just a little room mm-hmm. for possibilities to happen. You don't have to come out here one day and be like, I'm going to be Lady Gaga walking down a red carpet in a meat dress. You don't have mm-hmm. to go there. You don't have to go to that mm-hmm. extreme. You can just take a baby step. Yeah. And that could literally just be saying, hey, look, I'm... I'm not having, I'm not happy doing what I'm doing. I'm thinking mm-hmm. about doing this. No one's asked. I think you have to just be okay not being perfect or not having that checklist or not having all the answers. You just have to mm-hmm. be okay with just not knowing. Lean into you know it. What? Yes. <laughs> and being perfect, that, I mean, that's, that goes hand in hand with following the rules yeah. of that perfectionism and when I tell you, and I think there's like, there's so much pressure I put on myself. And then there's so much pressure that I feel that I owe something to my communities and to my family, like, right. Like being the first one to go to college, being the first one to have a master's degree, being the first one, you know, people talk about first gen college students. They don't talk about first gen to own a home. They don't talk about first gen to, you know, work in corporate America. Like there's a lot of first gen experiences that are are super unique. And for me, when I got to those places, I was feeling very much so um, like I owed it to continuously be perfect, right? Because if I I go back to my hometown, yeah, if I go back to my hometown and I run into somebody I knew in in high school, I'm like, oh, we always knew that you'd be the one to be successful. We always knew that you'd be the one who ended up here, right? Like, and and, and there's a lot of pressure in that because I realized where so many people that I did grow up with did not end up where I'm at. And so I feel a lot of, I feel very much so like I have the weight and pressure of my communities on me as well to be successful, to be perfect, to not mess this up, to not fumble the bag um, and and to keep kind of being great or at least creating the illusion that things are still great because I have so (laughs) many people watching me, right? And I'm just like, okay, Um, gotta keep it up. (laughs) No, no, no. That illusion... I yeah you just have made me have like an epiphany on my own life because I was like what is it about um this like the whole like wanting to be like the rule follower a good girl that I've mm-hmm. always liked about it I think is like the it is the you don't want to let anybody mm-hmm. down thing mm-hmm. but I think one of the things that I freed myself from this year is realizing like if I let me down then no one else matters truly mm-hmm. like if I'm letting me down no one else matters because I realized in a lot of those situations when I look back over them I was letting me down 
mm-hmm. who was being let down yet everybody else was like oh you're gonna figure it out and cheer me on or whatever but like mm-hmm. it, when I was at lo- alone at nighttime thinking about my life and what I wanted it to look like and how I wanted it to be I was really letting me down by keeping all mm-hmm. of this pressure on myself to make everyone else think I was good and that's why when mm-hmm. you said that appear- having that appearance that oh everything is great or everything mm-hmm. is fine I think if you guys can learn to let that go that you should do that too because one of the things mm-hmm. that I loved about you being so open on your story is I'm like how many other people besides me watched your story that night and were mm-hmm. like yes this is it that that conversation what you're saying oh I feel it because that's me mm-hmm. and I'm like I and that's honestly that's another reason why I created this podcast because I'm like I'm I'm so sick of the cookie cutter like mm-hmm. nice mm-hmm. conversation like, can we just be real have. about it for a minute can we just be real <laughs> like yeah you did not you were not happy when you were going mm-hmm. through this like you this was messy for you it's so like, messy and every like, day is so different like yeah <laughs> I, I think like the one thing that really um, was kind of an, an, a little epiphany for me, this happened like a month ago. Um, I, I had an interview for a job and the entire interview was just filled with red flags. I was like, oh, this company's a mess. Oh, they got a lot going on. Oh, I don't want to deal with this. Um, and, I, and I knew by the end of it, I wasn't going to get called back uh, just because I knew we were different places. Yeah. But I got off the phone and I was like, why am I so much more willing to deal with everybody else's mess and not my own? (laughs) Why am I willing to go and work at this place for 40 plus hours a week, exchange my time, money, and energy? (laughs) Why wouldn't I do that for myself? Mm. Like that was so bugged out to me. I've, I've worked with people who have PhDs and who have awards. I've worked at companies that are world renowned and, and like in, in every single place I have been, it has been a damn mess in one way or another. It has been filled with mediocrity in so mm-hmm. many ways. <laughs> and, and I, and I just sat there and I was like, this don't make no sense. Why am I sitting here fighting for my life, applying on LinkedIn every single day, Kikiing and networking in ways that I don't care to do that feels super inauthentic to me, just so that I can have a place in this in, in this you know where I think I should be, right? But I'm so unwilling to deal with my own mess, which is like right my fear, me, me being brave, me saying I'm going to take a chance, me saying I'm going to put myself out there, me being honest about that, me being my own boss and therefore having to hold myself accountable and be disciplined and all those things. Why am I more willing? to put my everyday happiness in the hands of some very like unimpressive human beings, but not in myself. It, it didn't make oh. no sense. No, I love that because I think, and not saying that if you listen to this and you're like, I never want to start a business, not saying that you have to do necessarily no. start a business to mm-hmm. do this, have this realization either. But I think as somebody who's like been full-time in business and I'm kind of like halfway mm-hmm. in between business full-time and mm-hmm. a job right now I think the thing that I did realize um here recently working my job is like I know my st- I know my yes. stuff 
I mm-hmm. the first time with me running business, I th- I didn't think I had it. I was always comparing myself to somebody else or always doubting mm-hmm. what I was doing. And I think this time around I was like, bro, you know what you're talking about. Like there's no yes. reason like there's no reason you couldn't have figured this out. Mm-hmm. But I think like you said, it's just the unlearning. Really it's mm-hmm. just the unlearning of it all. Like unlearning that having this type this business's name hooked to your the back end of your name mm-hmm. is going to be it's this safety i don't know it's this unconscious safety mm-hmm. net we have around these situations thinking that if i am tied to this big corporation or if i'm mm-hmm. tied to this big title on this job that it's mm-hmm. going to just bring me everything i desire mm-hmm. in my life it's just not going to do no it. Can I, didn't to, I didn't even like my job in big tech. I didn't even like the job. You know what? I like my salary. I love the benefits. I got free breakfast and lunch every day. Nice and hot. Cooked by some chefs. It was beautiful. I did not like my job at all. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you right now. Had I not been laid off, I would have stayed there for years. I would have stayed there for years. And doing that's real. Unhappy doing. Because I was making good money. I had this big name next to me. And I had hit my finish line. To me, I had finally hit the finish line. I was like, I'm good. I I, I did it. And I would have stayed there for years. I'm not even going to front. I was That's like, y'all real. got your hooks on me. I've never seen this much money in my life. I'm making more money than anybody in my family for generations has ever seen. I'm able to provide for myself for the first time in my life. Homeownership seems viable. All of these, I would have stayed there for years. Very unhappy. Because That's I was able real. to control that safety. No, I think that's real. And I think, too, it's okay to realize that, like, because I think something else that a lot of people struggle with, too, is realizing that, like, just because you want those good things in your life, number one, it's okay for you to want them. It's okay for you to Mm -hmm. want more money. It's okay for you to want, like, a nice lifestyle. Like, it's okay for Mm -hmm. you to want, like, um, things that, especially if you come from a place of less privilege it's okay for you to want those things other people kind of have access to already but you just haven't um and it's okay anybody who says money doesn't buy happiness has never been poor it's a lie bro it's a (laughs) lie it's a straight lie that they use to keep us like distracted it's a lie it does Mm -hmm. it may not be able to buy all of it but it can buy ease it can buy the stuff to gain you access Mm -hmm. to it peace Um, of mind Mm-hmm. peace of mind all the security and safety like it can buy yeah. you those things so don't get be fooled like you can but I do think that it's a it's a this is a good conversation and a good reminder just for you to realize to to not mm-hmm. fall asleep though um yeah in that in the process yeah. like don't fall asleep to what you really want <clears throat> and what mm-hmm. actually makes you happy um because it's easy to get kind of swept up into oh, yeah. you can see how easy it is to pick up other people's beliefs along the way mm-hmm. about what your life should look like and not stay in tune with you um right so i, I guess didn't believe like, in the work i was doing yeah i didn't believe yeah, in the work you know i was I mean? doing i didn't believe i didn't necessarily believe in the company i was working for any of those things i believed in the fact that every month i had money left over after my bills I was able to save, right? Like there was, and, and so I, I got very caught up in that. They like to call that the golden handcuffs. Girl, I was locked up, okay? I And I would have stayed locked up. And I think 
right now I'm being forced to decide like what makes sense. So when I, like I said, I had that interview not long ago and I was like, what am I doing? Like, why do I keep doing this? Every time I'm here, I'm not happy. I'm like, you can offer me six figures, but I'm going to hate my life Monday through Friday, nine to five. This doesn't make any sense. I'm like, deal with your own mess. And right. So now I'm trying to run my business and I get to choose who I work with. I get to choose how I work with them. I get to choose how much I make. And it's, terrifying and it's still scary I am always scared I'm scared every single day but you got to keep it moving right it's like what does it mean to just kind of walk while scared I I still got somewhere to go yeah I I love that (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where though no (laughs) I love that so Terry, I thought this conversation, I I always try to tell every ask to everybody two questions. The first one is what and I know you said earlier that you don't feel qualified, but I think that you could that you still might be more qualified than you think you are. What would you tell someone kind of sitting in this spot too where they realize, okay, I've been operating this way half my life and I think it's time for a change. What would you tell them? Yeah, that's my question. What would you tell them? I would say that you should trust that you are more loved than you probably think. And that is so important, especially for perfectionists who are never even good enough for themselves. Um, And for control freaks who think they can control how they're perceived and how people love them and how... I think you just need to recognize that who you are um, as is, as a person, even in the ways that you don't recognize that you show up, you're loved a lot more than you realize. Um, And that's important because that love shows itself when you're most afraid. And so in in this season of my life, as I've been terrified, as I've been trying to speak my truth to my friends and family online and in person, I think I've really have found the that my community loves me more than I thought they did. Right. Not yeah. that I, not that I, not that I walked around here thinking like nobody loves me, but it's just like, wow, I didn't know how deeply I was loved and cared for. I didn't know how deeply people believed in me. I didn't know how deeply people were willing to put their name out for me um, and to, and to recommend me to people and to vouch for me and to try to, you know, all of these things. I'm like, there's people I maybe had two interactions with and none of them were ever in person and they're popping out of the woodwork saying, I will put my name down personally and then put a stamp of approval and then let you carry my firstborn child into this interview with you because I believe in you and I love who you are as a person and what you do. And so I'm like, this is so insane. So I think um, if you if you have that fear, you're trying to be more brave. I think you need to recognize that, uh, take inventory and recognize that you are probably a lot more loved than you recognize. And that love um, will carry you through some of those really scary moments. Oh, that was beautiful. I love that. Um, No, I really do. Because I think, like you said, I think first it just takes, sometimes when you're a perfectionist, it does take hearing it from other people to like remind Mm -hmm. you that you you are good as you are. And mm-hmm. that you don't need all these things around you. You don't need that perfect job, that perfect mm-hmm. house, that perfect spouse, this perfect this, this perfect that to be loved. You're fine, just as is. Even if all mm-hmm. of it's stripped away, you're fine. And I think 
that sometimes you have to hear it first from other people. And I definitely want to encourage anybody who's listening to this who struggles with, you know, being super critical of themselves Mm -hmm. to start while you're also working on being okay with the chaos and like leaning in to also start trying to find places where you can love on you. Um, And that doesn't have to be through like actions or buying things or how other people like to do it with like baths and self-care. Like those things are good. But I think if you can just start with like the words you say to yourself on a daily basis, that that is a good place to start um, with realizing that you're okay, you're good already, yeah. like you, that you don't need anything else. For sure. You got to nurture the community, right? Like mm-hmm. you see yourself more harshly than anybody else does. And, um, yes. and studies show that people who have those, those, those micro interactions, those consistent kind of engagements with other people, they're happier and your problems seem so much smaller. And I think right. we all have a moment where like we've been with our girls and we've been with our friends or whatever. And, and for some reason that huge problem seems a lot less because it's, it's not just your burden to carry. Yes. Yeah. Right. So and good. so just like, and so lean into that, know that you're loved and, and nurture that love. No, love that. And then my last question that we're going to wrap up this conversation with is what are your hopes for this year? And I don't necessarily mean like, what are your plans? Just if you had any hope um, for yourself this year. So also that if you come back and listen to this message like a year from now, you can see (laughs) what you said, listen back to what you said, but what are your hopes for yourself this year? My hopes are to be a little more brave, um, to trust and believe that everything is going to work itself out. And that honestly, I, I, my hope is that I just make a lot more room for happiness and ease. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm done putting tangible goals down. I'm not sitting here trying to make, you know, $70,000 by June. I, I don't care about any of that. I'm trying to add more ease into my life, more fun, trust that it's all going to work out. Um, and, you know, just kind of go for it, you know, be braver. And, and, and let me tell you the one way I did that, I bought some Beyonce tickets. Do I got money for Beyonce tickets? Am I on unemployment right now? Absolutely. But it's going to work itself out. My bills will be. It is. I know they will be. Like, <laughs> She's such that. a good confidence booster. She's such a good confidence yeah. booster. <laughs> I just know it's going to happen because Beyonce said so. Exactly. She wouldn't set me up for failure. So here I am. I'm trusting and believing in the universe. I'm opening myself up to abundance. And you know, I and I really did gas at myself. I was just like, girl, if you don't believe you're gonna make this money back, then you're just really closing yourself off. Just buy the ticket. I um, necessarily I love it. Open, right? Just be yeah, open. No, I agree. And I think that opening stop ha- stop trying to have such a chokehold on your life. You have mm-hmm. to give yourself breathing room to to receive. Um, and I think that's a big thing for me is I, I really hope that this year I just continue to allow myself to receive everything I'm meant to um, because the chokehold I've been trying to have on life has been what's been really stifling that. 
And with that, there is nothing else that needs to be said because that was beautiful. Thank you guys so much (laughs) for listening to this episode. And I'm going to leave all the information about Abdelise in the show notes. So please go and check it out. And I'll see you on another episode of My Anesthetic Life. Bye.